Lesson 9 for February 20 to 26, The Great Controversy and the Early Church. Sabbath afternoon, February 20. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these stories we've been reading about from the life of Jesus and what it meant to him and to us in our relationship with him. And then as we look now at what happened with the disciples, we we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us. We pray that we won't just see the lessons, but that they'll become part of our lives, that we may have greater faith in you, and that you will be able to work through us through your Holy Spirit. Guide us and bless us each one, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text today is Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Let's read that again, Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The greatest barrier Jesus faced with his disciples was their preconceived opinions. The disciples took little notice of what Jesus said if it did not fit in with their own ideas of who he should be. Right up to the time of his ascension, the disciples still quizzed Jesus about freeing Israel from the Romans. It was only after ten days of prayer and close fellowship in the presence of God that dominant preconceptions were finally beginning to be replaced with the truth, and the disciples were ready to hear what God told them. This paved the way for the incredible events at that first Pentecost after the death of Jesus. Of course, the church still faced many challenges, especially from local religious leaders, some of whom were just as determined to stop the church as they were to stop Jesus. Thus, in this week's lesson, we will see the great controversy played out in different ways. We will see it manifested openly as those in power are inspired by Satan to repress the truth. But we will also see it played out in a subtler but more crucial area, the human heart. Sunday, February 21, the beginning of a new beginning. After his resurrection, Jesus spent 40 days meeting with the disciples to confirm the resurrection and to help them better understand the kingdom of God. As we read in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 4 to 7, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. However, even as they assembled, just before Jesus departed into the heavens, the thing uppermost in their minds was whether or not this was the time for Jesus to finally conquer the Romans. 
as we read in Acts 1 verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Their own ideas of what should happen was so strong that they simply did not listen to what Jesus had been saying to them. Even after three and a half years of close instruction, the equivalent of a university degree, from the best teacher the world has ever known, the disciples still had many wrong notions to unlearn. Question. Read Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through to 8. In the face of such ignorance, how did Jesus answer? We'll begin again at verse 6 in chapter 1 of Acts. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus focused on the real issue rather than wasting time trying to correct their every misunderstanding. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit was far more important than political discussion. After watching Jesus ascending into the clouds and disappearing, the disciples noticed two men standing by them. The two men told them that Jesus would return. Just as he was accepted into heaven as a conquering king, so he will come again as the king and conqueror they dreamed of when they asked him about the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. But that day will surpass even their greatest dreams, for he will come as king of all creation, not just king of a piece of land in the Middle East. The eleven disciples returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, their heads swimming with memories and their hearts glowing with the truths revealed by Jesus, at least the ones they understood. But they needed something more. Jesus told them to wait a few days until the Holy Spirit baptized them. Acts 1 verses 4 and 5, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. For though the enemy had been defeated, he wasn't yet done. And they would need power from on high in order to do what Jesus had called them to do. So to finish today, read Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. What was the major difference in how the disciples related to each other now? As compared to before, such as seen in Matthew 20 verses 20 to 24, and what message is there for us in this change of attitude? In what ways can you put aside self in order to prepare for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Monday, February 22, Pentecost.
For ten days, the followers of Jesus prayed, evaluated their experiences with Jesus in the light of Scripture, showed humility and acceptance to each other, and finally allowed the Holy Spirit to impress the truth upon them. Just as the Spirit hovered over the face of the waters at the beginning of the creation process, so too the Spirit of God hovered over each of the disciples, appearing as divided tongues of fire on each of them, as recorded in Acts chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. It was a new beginning, a new creation. Question. Read Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through to 12. What is the significance of what happened as revealed in these texts? And compare it with Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through to 9. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together, and were confused, because every one heard them speak in his own language." Then they were all amazed and marvelled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar, and they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do? Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Sometime after the flood, the inhabitants of the earth decided to build a tower that reached heaven. To prevent them from this arrogant and foolish endeavour, as well as the new evils they had been devising, God confused their common language and scattered them over the face of all the earth, as it said in Genesis 11. At Pentecost, God did the opposite. Here, he could see a group of people, not building a new tower of Babel, but who were ready to proclaim the good news that evil would one day be forever banished. People, 
from every nation under heaven were in Jerusalem that day, as it says in Acts 2.5. And they gathered together in amazement as they each heard their own language being spoken by the disciples. Peter uses this as an opportunity to address them. He speaks of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, preparing to a people to meet God. In Acts chapter 2, verses 17 to 21, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved." He points out the Messiah's true mission and rebukes them for crucifying him. We read that in Acts chapter 2 verse 23. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. They are cut to the heart, as it says in verse 37. And 3,000 are baptized and join the disciples, as it says in verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So to finish today, some who had, under the inspiration of Satan, consented to the death of Jesus, were now under the influence of the Holy Spirit, converted to Jesus. What does this tell us of the power of God, not only to forgive the worst of sins, but also to change the hardest of hearts? Tuesday, February 23, Facing the Sadducees Question. Read Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through to 30. How is the great controversy theme being manifested here? In what ways is this just one example of how it was played out all through history? How do we see Satan working here, and how do we see the Lord working as well? Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. And being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about five thousand. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, 
by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone." Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marvelled, and they realised that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But, when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severally threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in his name. So they called them, and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So, when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them, because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over forty years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And, being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So, when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by your mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord... Look on their threats, and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word, by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. How is the great controversy theme here manifested? In what ways is this just one example of how it was played out all through history? From the book, The Acts of the Apostles, page 78, we read, The priests and rulers saw that Christ was extolled above them. As the Sadducees, who did not believe in the resurrection, heard the apostles declaring that Christ had risen from the dead, they were enraged, realizing that if the apostles were allowed to preach a risen Saviour and to work miracles in His name, the doctrine that there would be no resurrection would be rejected by all, and the sect of the Sadducees would soon become extinct. End of quote. What got these leaders especially upset was the healing that the Lord did through Peter. But when confronted by these leaders, the disciples didn't waver. The priests were not expecting this from uneducated and untrained men, as they said in verse 13. 
Sending the disciples out of the room, they conferred among themselves, thinking that if they commanded these men not to teach in the name of Jesus, they would meekly comply. How wrong they were. Instead, the disciples went back and joined the others, and together they praised God. They prayed for more boldness, and that God would stretch out his hand for more healing. They did not need to wait long. Because of the disciples' growing popularity, people brought their sick out into the streets to allow Peter's passing shadow to fall on them, as we read in Acts chapter 5 and verse 15, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Multitudes came from nearby towns, and their sick were healed, as we read in verse 16. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. All through here, we can see the great controversy unfolding. Unscrupulous leaders seeking to suppress truth, faithful people reading the scriptures and praying for divine power, sickness healed and souls won. Though things at least on the surface don't always work out as well as they did here, we must never forget how, ultimately, the great controversy will play out and the final victory that is ours because what Jesus had accomplished for all humanity is certain. Wednesday, February 24, The Stoning of Stephen The disciples weren't the only ones to be confronted by the religious establishment during the earliest days of the church. Stephen, who was filled with faith and power, and did great wonders and signs among the people, as recorded in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, was brought before them. His witness was so compelling, in fact, that his opponents manufactured false and incriminating stories against him, for which he was dragged before the council, as we read in Acts chapter 6, verses 9 to 14. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freed men, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, those from Cilicia and Asia, disputed with Stephen, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Question. In Acts chapter 7, verses 2 to 53, Stephen gives a powerful message to those who accused him. We'll also look at Acts chapter 7 and verse 54, which says that they were cut to the heart. That is, they were convicted by his words. In Acts chapter 2, 37 to 41, after hearing Peter make a similar accusation, others also were convicted. What was the difference in response to conviction? And what does that tell us about how crucial a surrendered heart before God is? 
Let's begin with Acts chapter 2, sorry, chapter 7, and verse 2, right through to verse 53. And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land, and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them four hundred years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage I will judge, says God, and after they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision, and so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and a great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, seventy-five people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, and he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem, and laid in the tomb that Abraham brought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But... When the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months, but... When he was sent out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was forty years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed, and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting, and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren, why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when forty years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. 
and he drew near to observe the voice, and the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness forty years. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel, who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with your fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us, whom our father would not obey but rejected. And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Do you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch, and the star of your god Remphan, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away before Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, and as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favour before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the Just One, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels, and have not kept it. The apostles had so far gotten away with challenging the leaders, but when Stephen tried to do the same, he was killed by an angry mob. Stephen's death marked the beginning of a concerted effort by Satan to wipe out the new movement. Up until this point, the followers of Jesus had been harassed and threatened, but Stephen was the first one to be killed. But what did they expect? If Satan could inspire some leaders to execute Jesus, his followers certainly should not have expected any less for themselves. Of course, all through the great controversy, the Lord would, time and time again, bring victory out of what often seemed like defeat. It was no different here. 
A quote now from Acts of the Apostles, page 102. After the death of Stephen, Saul was elected a member of the Sanhedrin Council in consideration of the part he had acted on that occasion. For a time he was a mighty instrument in the hands of Satan to carry out his rebellion against the Son of God. But soon this relentless persecutor was to be employed in building up the church that he was now tearing down. A mightier than Satan had chosen Paul, or Saul, to take the place of the martyred Stephen, to preach and suffer for his name, and to spread far and wide the tidings of salvation through his blood. And so to finish the day, sometimes we see the good that arises from what's obviously evil. That's great. What do we do, though, when we don't see any good arise from evil, but in fact only more evil? Thursday, February 25. Changing Attitudes The disciples not only struggled with preconceived ideas that kept them from understanding what Jesus taught them, but they also shared national prejudices. One example of this is the story of the Samaritan woman from whom Jesus asked a drink of water. The disciples were surprised that he even spoke to a woman, as we read in John 4.27, and at this point his disciples came and they marvelled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek? or Why are you talking with her? National prejudices also came to the fore in the account of Cornelius, a Roman centurion based in Caesarea. Cornelius was a devout man and one who feared God, as it says in Acts chapter 10 and verse 2, and highly respected by the local people. An angel instructed him to send for Peter in Joppa, as we read in Acts chapter 10 verse 22. And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. And we'll look at verses 3 to 8 in the same chapter. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your arms have come up for a mention or memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel had spoken to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually, so, when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Meanwhile, in Joppa, Peter goes up to the rooftop to pray. With shelter from the sun and cool sea breezes, he relaxes and begins to feel hungry. And while waiting for his host to prepare lunch, he sees a strange vision. Heaven opens, and something like a huge sheet tied at the four corners is let down. Inside the cloth is an assortment of creatures that he regards as either polluted or 
unclean, and from which he is told to eat. Question. What was Peter's reaction when he was told to eat unclean food, and what did the vision mean? Well, let's read in Acts chapter 10, verses 12 to 29. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What a God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius, and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I ask then, for what reason have you sent for me? In this vision, God teaches Peter an important lesson. Some people today think that this is the time when God changes the human diet to allow people to eat whatever they like. This is not what Peter receives from the vision. First, he wonders what it means. It is not at first obvious, as we read in verse 17. When Cornelius's men arrive and explain their mission, Peter feels compelled to return with them. When Peter meets Cornelius, he is able to tell Cornelius the meaning of the vision. Christ is the saviour of all the world. Gentiles, too, are precious souls for whom Christ died, as we read in verses 34 to 38. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. 
that word you know, which was proclaimed through all Judea, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Peter was learning a lesson that we all still need to learn. In Christ, all barriers have been torn down, and the distinction between Jew and Gentile, between all people, no longer exists. But, as it says in Acts 10.35, In every nation he that feareth him, and worketh righteousness, is accepted with him. So, to finish today, it's nice to believe that we are all one in Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. Unfortunately, even in the church, that's not always how we feel in our hearts, is it? First, how can we recognize the prejudices that we hold? And second, in the power of God, how can we be purged from those prejudices? Friday, February 26. Russian author Fyodor Dostoevsky wrote about Jesus returning to the earth, but not as predicted in the Bible. Instead, in this made-up story, Jesus returned at the height of the Inquisition when religious leaders used their power for evil. The Grand Inquisitor had Jesus, who came as a humble servant, arrested and thrown in a dungeon. That night he visited Jesus in jail and castigated him for giving humans freedom. Instead of taking men's freedom from them, he declares, Thou didst make it greater than ever. Didst thou forget that man prefers peace and even death to freedom of choice in the knowledge of good and evil? Nothing is more seductive for man than his freedom of conscience, but nothing is a greater cause of suffering. Despite his audacity and cynicism, the cleric has a point. Look at what humans have done with their freedom. Pain, evil, sin, suffering, death, all have arisen from freedom or from the abuse of it. But God created us as loving beings, and the only way we can love is if we were created free. So much of how the great controversy plays out in this world is impacted by what people have done and still do with the sacred but very costly gift. The cross reveals the cost of freedom. As we saw this week, some, when confronted with the gospel, repented and gave their hearts to Jesus. Others, when confronted with it, murdered the messenger. Freedom is a precious gift, but we need to be so careful about what we do with it. And that brings us to our two discussion questions for this week. One, no question, the New Testament emphasizes the oneness that we have in Christ. This is a very powerful idea one that was revolutionary in its time. Unfortunately, even now in the 21st century, one of the greatest evils that still exists is ethnic, racial and national prejudice. Only God knows the full extent of what this evil has wrought. And though we expect this in the world, what about the church? Even our own church? How is it manifested? 
Why is this kind of attitude so contrary to the basic, the most basic and fundamental teaching of the gospel? And two, at times we all feel convicted by the Holy Spirit. How do you respond when that conviction comes? It's in the heart that the great controversy truly rages. How do the choices you make when convicted by the Spirit reveal whose side you might be on? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled This is Your Last Opportunity, Part 2 And the story so far Dorindina was a Satanist high priestess She performed rituals at night and was paid well to channel spirits and to cast spells Twice she received dreams of a man dressed in white telling Dorindina that God had a place for her But she always dismissed the dream after becoming ill, Dorindina ended up at hospital and fell into a coma. When I awoke, I was sure that I had again dreamed about the man dressed in white. He was beautiful. A light shone from his face. He said to me, This is the last opportunity you will be given. God has a plan for your life. The angel reached out and took my hand. He beckoned me to follow him. I followed him up some steps. I asked the man, What do I need to do? The man told me to go to the Marcos Seventh-day Adventist Church. That is God's church, he said, and the people there follow him. His voice was soft and full of love. I kissed the man's hand, and then he disappeared. During the two weeks that I stayed in the hospital, I thought a lot about what I had seen in the dream. I decided that as soon as I was strong enough, I would find the Marcos Adventist Church. I did not know anything about the church or this denomination except that it met on Saturday. I told my husband about my dreams and the man's command to visit this church. He warned me to stay away from the church, but as soon as I was able, I slipped out of the house very early on Saturday morning and went to the church. But the gate was locked. I waited for two hours by the gate in front of the church. At 8am, a man opened the church gate. He invited me in to join the Sabbath school teacher's class that was starting soon. Inside the church, he introduced me to a woman who made me feel welcome. After the teacher's class ended, she took me to the auditorium for Sabbath school and introduced me to the Bible worker. She greeted me warmly and offered to come to my home and help me learn more about God. I was delighted to have her come to my home, the home I had purchased with the devil's money. And this story is to be continued in next week's Inside Story. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.